Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Father, we thank you tonight for the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding, and we thank you for it, Father. We thank you, Father, for enlightenment, revelation knowledge, we call it, by the Spirit of God, illuminating our hearts, our minds, our understanding, illuminating the word in our hearts, in our minds, Father. Glory to God. We thank you for that. We trust the Holy Spirit to give utterance tonight and give revelation and direction in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I wasn't here last Wednesday night, uh, but a few weeks ago, I started a, a series on uh, testing the supernatural and uh, supernatural occurrences, events, manifestations, dreams, visions, whatever you might want to call it, prophecy, anything that, that comes by the Spirit, all has to be judged. That's not a negative thing. That's a good thing. Amen. It's, it's our responsibility. And uh, we found out, we looked at, at uh, started looking in, in the book of Revelation. We found out that, that uh, the church at, at Ephesus uh, had no stomach whatsoever for false apostles. And there, there were many false apostles uh, circulating in. The book of Revelation was written sometime in the mid to late uh, uh, A.D. 90s, the last decade of the first century. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the churches, there were seven, seven churches there, one of the churches was the church at Ephesus. And so uh, the apostle Paul commended them that they uh, could not stand and wouldn't put up with false apostles. So we talked about that a little bit. We talked about the signs of an apostle. We talked about uh, how people are, are misled. People are misled when they don't use their brains. Spiritual things have to be judged spiritually, but there's a natural component. If something doesn't look right, it's usually not right. If it doesn't sound right, it's usually not right. And some things, uh, it's easy to even judge with your minds because they're, in con- they're contrary to the Word of God. And so we talked about that. Then we started talking about pro- false prophets, talked about the different rankings of apostles, different rankings of prophets, and so forth. And... Uh, then we talked about the fact that uh, in judging these things, there's four simple questions that uh, we have to ask, and that will help us. The first one that we talked about last week was how was the experience, whatever it might be, how was it received? This is judging it in your life. If you receive some type of, of revelation or visitation or experience or somebody else's life and that you're told about. Amen. We, we have a right to judge things that are of the Spirit. We're told to. In 1 John, we know that it said that we are not to uh, believe every spirit. We're to try the spirits to see whether they're of God. He says because there are many false prophets and false deceiving spirits that are in the world. We talked about that. So how was the, how was the experience received? Uh, we talked about the fact that uh, we got off talking about uh, supernatural uh, occurrences and things, dreams, visions, revelations, manifestations, whether it's angels or whatever it might be. We, we are a supernatural church. 
We're a, the, superna- the body of Christ is not a natural uh, thing. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing, and it's supernatural. And uh, you, can't, you can't read the Old or the New Testament without finding out that God moves among his people in supernatural ways. Signs, wonders, miracles. Always has and, uh, and, and, and does up until and through this day and will until Jesus returns. We see these things. And so uh, every dream, vision, revelation, whatever it must be, must be tested. And so, you know, we talked about how was it received. There are three possible sources for every spiritual manifestation. Could be your own imagination. Uh, hopefully it's God or it could be the devil. And we have to uh, uh, discern these things. So we, we ask the question, was the recipient or the person, if yourself or the person that's telling you about it, were they trying or expecting or looking to, to, uh, for some kind of a supernatural experience? If they were, that's a big red flag. Amen. We found that uh, uh, in the New Testament, dreams and visions, for instance, every dream and vision that is in the New Testament, I'm pretty sure I, I, I recorded all of them, starting with um, uh, Zacchaeus, you know, or, or Zacharias, rather, uh, before Jesus was born, you know, uh, uh, he and his, his wife were barren, and, and he was in the temple, and an angel appeared to him and told him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a child, John the Baptist. And so, from that one all the way down through the revelations that John had in the book of Revelation, we find out that without exception, every such occurrence was unexpected. It took them by surprise. It was divinely initiated. None of these people initiated these things. They weren't praying or seeking or looking for any kind of a manifestation when it, when it came. And it always came for a special purpose. Amen. So... Uh, we did note that, now it doesn't always have to be this way, but uh, we noted that from these illustrations and from these examples, all the dreams and visions were granted to men and women who had been chosen by God for a special ministry or work. And the dream or vision was, an, was, an, was for an unusual and strategic gospel purpose. It wasn't just for any purpose. Now, I'm not saying that that. God uh, uh, never moves any other way, but that's a good benchmark to be, to be looking at. Uh, like I said, in every single instance in the Bible, not just the New Testament, when God communicated to someone by a dream or a vision or something like, like that, it always took them by surprise. They were not expecting it. That means it was not a common or ordinary experience. Amen. Therefore, ordinarily, we, and I'm just kind of catching us up, ordinarily, ordinarily, God does not direct our everyday natural lives through dreams, visions, angels, and so forth. If you find somebody that's constantly uh, having dreams and God's revealing things through dreams and vision, it's just happening all the time, something's wrong with that. It's out of, see, some things, some things, and one of the things we're going to look at tonight, another, another important thing is, is it, is it in the Bible? Is it according to the scripture? Well, there's different ways to apply that. You know, you can judge it according to the doctrine, teaching of the New Testament, but you also have to apply the rule of the examples of the New Testament. So the, the New Testament doesn't teach us or say how many dreams per 
quarter (laughs) or whatever. There's nothing like that to tell us how often these things could happen. But, but, it's, a, it's Bible information. It's according to the scriptures to note that it did not occur uh, very often. Sometimes you read through the book of Acts, you don't realize, you know, it covered 30 plus years. And it just sounds like, you know, angels were showing up and people were having visions and dreams. Most of them happened, you know, once or twice in their entire life, as far as we know. Amen. So therefore, ordinarily, God does not direct our everyday natural lives through dreams, visions, Angels, you know, visiting and and that sort of thing. So we pointed out that ordinary dreams, everybody has dreams. I had a couple the other night and and it just just came to my mind. I remembered that I had a couple and and I can't remember what they were. I I just remember waking up and having this dream but don't remember what it was. Uh, Ordinary dreams have no spiritual significance. Someone that's putting spiritual significance on, on, you know, their dreams night after night, that's, they're just out of, out of balance with the Scripture. Again, to be looking for or expecting God to grant you or to lead you by special spiritual dreams and visions is unscriptural and will make you susceptible to the devil. Amen. That always goes over big. Uh, now, that's not to say that, that God couldn't do that. In fact, uh, but when he does, it, the, the reason for it will be apparent. There'll be, there'll be something unusual going on. We were here Monday night after prayer, and I was talking to, to Mark and, and Kat back there, and we were talking about skiing. And, uh, and, and I remembered that in, uh, we were in Vail, uh, Colorado, Angela and I, and we were with Steve and Christy and their two boys skiing in 2015. And uh, I was just so exhausted and and I hadn't really noticed that before I went out there and I got out there and I just, I couldn't go. Now, you know, I'm skiing at, at 11,000 feet altitude, you know. Uh, the base of the base of the resort was 8,000 feet plus. And, uh, and so, you know, the, I, I went and skied the first day and I was just exhausted. So the second day, I didn't even go out. We were there, I think, a week. And uh, I've never missed a day of skiing, ever. And I got up the next morning, I told Steve, I said, I'm sorry, I can't go. I'm just gassed. I'm out. And so I stayed in that day, and, and we were in a, a two-level, two-story uh, condominium. And Angela and I, you know, our, our uh, bedroom's up on the second floor. And going up those steps, just, I thought, first of all, it was the altitude. But then the altitude had never bothered me before. I've never been sick, never had a headache going out in Colorado. I've just, it, altitude's never bothered me. First of all, it was the altitude. And then, you know, as the week wore on, I just thought, you just are out of shape. When you get home, you're going to get your lazy butt back in that, to, on that elliptical and get yourself back in shape. This is ridiculous. You've fallen apart, son. So, what I, you know, I had that thought. And, uh, but we, we would go out and, and uh, I'd ski in the mornings. In the mornings, my grandsons and I, we like ski fast. And so what, the slopes are pretty clear, really. We'd try to be, make first tracks, you know, be out there for first people out. And so there's not a lot of people out there, and we'd just be flying down those mountains, you know, 50 miles an hour. Uh, Ethan had a thing on his phone tracking us. And he was, he, I was going over 50, and he was leaving me. And uh, so, we, you know, we had a good time. But by lunch, usually about 1 o'clock, I was exhausted. And I'd either stay, go back to the lodge, you know, where, where the restaurant was and sit, or I just catch the 
gondola back to the parking lot. We usually had another vehicle. Then I'd just go back to the condo. And uh, I was just exhausted. And I remember the last day I went out and uh, I was determined to ski the whole day. But I just I was exhausted. So I made my way through the day. And it was a long story. I barely made it back. And it was, it was a disaster getting back to the, to the base of the camp. But uh, I got home on a Wednesday night. And on Thursday night, I started having a chest pain. It wasn't anything alarming, just a, just a light pain, you know. But it was, it was just there. It, wasn't, it wouldn't come and go. It was just there. So uh, I went to bed and went to sleep, woke up the next morning. And as soon as I got out of bed, there it was. So I told Angela, she had already gone to the office. I, I stayed late, so I come in. And I said, you know what, I think I need to go to the emergency room and have my heart checked out. Well, you know, Angela's cheaper than, you know, she's tighter than a tick on a hound dog. I mean, she's, she, she doesn't want to spend any money, you know. She said, oh, you don't need to go to the emergency room. Just go down here to the, to the, you know, to the fire station down here and, um, and let them check. But, you know, they'll check you. So I said, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> What? It was, a, it was a good, a cheap idea, I know. <laughs> so I went down there, and they, they did an EKG, and, and they said, there's something that's not right with your heart. It's not crazy, alarming, but it's not right. We think you ought to go to the hospital. So they took me in and transported me by ambulance. And uh, come to find out, I had major blockages in my arteries. All three of my coronary, coronary arteries were blocked. Two of them uh, were blocked 80%, and the LAD is what they call it, was blocked 99% blocked. And uh, that usually kills you, you know. And uh, so, you know, I went in and, and had uh, you know, stents put in and everything. But I got back, I, I, I was thinking about this Monday night. Mark told me that while I was out there, he, he had a dream. And in the dream, I died out in Colorado, out skiing. I died out there. And he woke up, and he knew right away that means to pray for pastor. He didn't have to get on the phone and ask somebody what that, well, that, that was really a word of knowledge. Amen. Word of knowledge is supernatural revelation of facts. It can come through uh, just an inward revelation. It can come through a prophecy somebody gives or it come through a dream. That was a word of knowledge through a, through a dream, and it was it was. And he prayed, took authority over, turned over and went back to sleep, I think. Is that right? You know, you pray, then you, you believe God. And I, and I know some others uh, had picked up and were praying for me, picked up by the Spirit, didn't have a dream or anything. So God can do those things. But when he does, it's for an obvious purpose. It's not just for, you know, uh, everyday events. Amen. To be looking for, expecting God to grant you or to lead you by spiritual dreams and visions is unscriptural and uh, will lead into error. Uh, We are instructed, of course, to be people of prayer and of the Holy Spirit. And if we'll faithfully seek God's will through prayer and the word, that will result in being led by the Spirit. And we know that there are three fundamental ways, and the first two are more common by far than the third one. And uh, the, the most fundamental ways is by the inward witness. That's how he leads all of his children. It's by the inward witness. It is not dramatic. 
you know, at, at like dreams and visions and things, but it is just as supernatural and just as spiritual. And then very closely related to that is the inward voice. And then less often than that is the authoritative voice of the Holy Spirit where he speaks up and just stops you in your tracks. Uh, but like I said, he can lead these other ways, but uh, it's not something that, so if you find somebody, you know, that's constantly having dreams and, you know, the Lord's saying this and that through dreams, uh, you really probably uh, need to be leery of that. If you know a minister that's constantly going to heaven, you know, every other week he's having visitations, he's called up to heaven and, and, and Jesus is appearing to him, you know, every day and, you know, you need to find somebody else to listen to. Amen. So we, we, we covered that. Then the next question, there's four questions I wanted to ask. The second one, what was the content of the revelation? What was the content of the, of the revelation? Obviously, you have to ask this question, does it agree with the Bible? And like I said, it's not just agreeing with a doctrine in the Bible. It has to be uh, consistent with the patterns that are in the Bible, the examples that we see, amen? And, uh, and the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know, uh, Mark could have very easily just, you know, uh, prayed for me and, and that would have been the end of it. Maybe I'd have come home and he had never known. But usually if God moves supernaturally like that, there's going to be some, some evidence of it. And, of course, you know, he, I don't think he gave any more thought to it because he did what the Lord impressed him to do. But then when he found out, you know, he came home, found out what had happened, well, then he, he knew that God had, had moved supernaturally. So does it agree with the Bible? And then the next thing, uh, does it include, quote, unquote, deeper revelations? that no one else or perhaps only a few other people have. Go back over with me to Genesis chapter 3. This is something that the, that the devil uh, repeats. His maneuvers uh, follow certain uh, history and, and occurrences. He does the same thing over and over and over. Now, you remember that the serpent came to uh, Eve and he asked, he said, has God, this is in the first verse, has God indeed said you shall, eat, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of, garden, of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. She made a mistake here. She added something that the Lord hadn't said. The Lord hadn't said, God hadn't said anything to Adam and Eve about not touching the fruit. Her answer, see, she started to reason with the devil. The devil asked her a thought-provoking question, and she took the bait and began to elaborate Never get into a reasoning battle with the enemy because he's been doing this a whole lot longer than you have. You remember when Jesus, when the devil tempted Jesus, he would come to him and, and suggest these things. And what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by, every, uh, by bread alone, but by every word that, that proceeds from the mouth of God. He didn't elaborate. 
When the devil came the next time, he said, it is written. Quotes the word. It is written. If Eve would have said, when, when the devil asked and said, has God indeed said, has he really said, you shall, eat, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She should have said, the Lord God said we were not to eat of this tree, and, if, and in the day we eat of it, we'll surely die. That's what God said. That would have been quick and to the point, and the devil would have gotten the message. You know, when Jesus was tempted, Jesus was tempted those four times, and then the devil left him. Because every time he answered with the word, Eve made the mistake of entertaining the logic and the thought. And so then she added something that God hadn't said. When she did that, she gave a signal to the enemy that he's got somebody here he can play with. So the very next thing he suggests is hidden revelation that she didn't have that God was keeping from her and now the, the enemy was giving it to her that if she could eat this fruit, she would be like God. She would even know stuff that, things that, that Adam didn't know. It is a common tactic of the enemy to suggest uh, uh, superior knowledge, superior revelation. So that's a real important uh, uh, thing to look out for. When people have revelations that nobody else has, that they've got this thing and, and God's spoken to them. And if, you, if you're going to get it, you know, you have to be in their meetings, you have to buy their tapes, you have to give so much money or their, or their recordings, you have to give so much money and so forth. Uh, like I said, Eve deviated from what God said. This opened the door for the devil to convince her uh, that there was a higher revelation available to her that wasn't available to others. In... Uh, Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. I know I mentioned a few weeks back about the, about the problem with the Gnostics. In the uh, time of the, of the epistles, when the epistles were bitten, being written, there was uh, uh, a movement. It's been, been named now. I don't think it was called that then, but now it's called the, the Gnostics. And uh, they believed in a higher revelation the Gnostics had been making inroads in the church of Colossae. And, you know, when we read the book of Colossians, we just, we just usually don't pay attention to that because the things that are mentioned don't mean anything to us, the errors that they were looking into. And so we just feed on all the rich things that, that are in Colossians. I tell you what, it's just the book of Colossians is phenomenal with the truth and the revelation. But that was given to counter what the Gnostics were saying. And so, you know, it's uh, in the first chapter, you know, we have, uh, you know, the greetings and then, you know, it talks about being filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding the way we might walk worthy of the Lord and so forth and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints and the light, delivered us from the authority of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son and so forth and talks about redemption and, and uh, you know, the, uh, being reconciled with Christ, all these wonderful things. But he was saying that to counter some other things that had infiltrated the church. There were evidently significant numbers of people uh, probably not just one or two, but enough that he addressed it in this epistle. That tells me it was, it was something going on in the church at Colossae. And so in chapter 2, 
He said, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and as uh, and for as many has not, has have not, have, as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of Christ, both of the Father, the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's pointing them back to Christ. He's pointing them back to the revelation of the mystery. If you want to hold your place here, go back to Colossians. And I, I, and I thought of this just now because I've been spending a lot of time in Colossians lately. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Wait, did I say Colossians? I'm sorry. We're in Colossians. Go to Ephesians 1. That's what I meant to say. Go to the book of Ephesians. I've been spending time in this book here the last few mornings. It says uh, in verse chapter 1, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That word means understanding. God has made his grace, the riches of his grace, to abound to us in all wisdom and understanding. God has revealed his wisdom to us. And that's what, when we go back to Colossians, you'll see that's what he was trying to point out. He was saying some of these same things. I just like the way he said it in Ephesians. But he was pointing out that God in his matchless grace has seen fit to reveal the plan of the ages to the church. He goes on to say, uh, having made known to us the mystery of his will, verse 9, according to his good pleasure which he purchased in himself, purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might to, he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will uh, he, he talks about uh, the salvation and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then, of course, he, he, he uh, prays for them, recites the prayer that, he's been, that he was praying regularly for them, that they would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God has revealed so much to us. And it's right here in this book. And the Holy Spirit will, will take what's in this book and he will enlighten us and, and expound upon it and show us the depth of it. We don't, need to, we don't need other knowledge. We don't need revelations that aren't according to this book. So that's always a, a mark of error is when people start receiving revelation, special revelations that you can't find in the Bible, that's obviously the first big signal, or that nobody else has. What the Spirit of God is saying to one person, he's saying to everybody. Now, not everybody's listening, but enough people are listening. There are enough people out there listening. If God is moving a certain way, revealing a certain thing, you're not going to be the only person that knows it. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and when I talk about false teachers, you know, we talked about, about that some and false apostles and false prophets. 
You know, over, over in Acts, the 20th chapter, and we looked at that where at that uh, uh, minister's meeting, the pastor's conference that Paul convened uh, at, at, uh, on Miletus, he called for the elders of Ephesus. He said, after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in, uh, you know, and try to infiltrate you. And then he said, also from among yourselves, men will arise. A lot of times when we, when we talk and think about false teachers, uh, we think we only think about men or women who travel. They, they're in the quote-unquote ministry. In other words, they do this, and this is their full-time job. They go from place to place, and they maybe are teaching things they ought not teach. Maybe they're on television, and they're teaching things you know, on the Internet. Maybe they have a you know, media page, and they're teaching. Them. So we tend to think of people somewhere else that, that we might be influenced by. But it can happen anywhere. He said, from among yourselves, right there in the church at Ephesus. And people would arise doing these things. And so in a few minutes, we'll have time. We'll get over and, and read what he wrote to the Ephesians about this. And uh, uh, actually, uh, I think we're going to look at uh, uh, First Timothy because Timothy was, uh, was charged by Paul with correcting some of these things. But anyway, in Colossians here, let's go back to this, to this chapter. He said, uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Apparently, somebody was trying to, to deceive them. For, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So false teaching generally takes away from Christ. It takes the focus off of Christ and puts it on something else. And that's what these Gnostics were doing. And in fact, it, it appears that these people had even begun to, to uh, they had revelations, supposed revelations about angels that nobody else had. And it even bordered on, on uh, worshiping of angels. Notice he said uh, in verse 16, let no one ju judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. Now, we'll find out when we look at 1 Timothy that these Gnostics took the Old Testament and they were teaching things from the Old Testament and, and that, that neither the Old Testament taught nor the New Testament. And uh, he said, don't let anybody judge you in these areas. These are a shadow of things to come, the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward Taking delight in false humility. Have you ever been around somebody that just false? You know what I'm talking about, false humility? It's, it's really the opposite of humility because they want you to know how hum humble they are. It's like one preacher said, he said, I have a great message on humility, but I haven't found a big enough church to preach it in yet. <laughs> The preacher said he won an award one time for being the most humble person. 
taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. So uh, he went on, he said, you know, these things concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. These false teachings very often uh, put a lot of attention on the sacrifice and the, the humility and, uh, and how uh, disciplined and holy a person is. And they're trying to get the attention off of, of the, whether, whether they say this or admit this or not. They're taking the attention off of Christ and putting it on themselves. And so that's something that you can watch for. Amen? So... Uh, they had, so my notes here, they had infiltrated the church and begun to spread this false doctrine. The Gnostics claimed to have a higher knowledge and revelation than anyone else in the early church, even the Apostle Paul. Just like with Eve, some in the church at Colossae had been led astray by the tantalizing claims of higher knowledge. When Paul wrote his epistle, in part, he wrote it to correct this error before more sincere believers were led astray. Uh, they always claim a higher enlightenment, a superior knowledge that others don't have. Uh, go with me then over to 1 Timothy. This is very interesting. 1 Timothy. And let's look at chapter 1. I'm going to take a quick dart over someplace else. Paul left Timothy and Titus, who were both apostles. Now, there's a tradition in the church that Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. But there's really no biblical support for that. That just comes from, from tradition that uh, uh, came from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries around that time. Uh, but there's no evidence in the New Testament that Timothy was a pastor. There, he is called an apostle. So he was one of the apostles. He wasn't a foundational apostle like Paul. He was under Paul and, um, and, and submitted himself to Paul, but he was an apostle. And Paul had left him in Crete. It says here in 1 Timothy, he said, uh, as, verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh Teachings and, and, and doctrines had infiltrated the church and were commingled with the truth. That's another thing that false uh, teachers do is they take a little bit of truth and a little bit of error and they put them together. I remember when our church was young, there was a, a sister in our church and she came to me and she, she had started attending a Bible study. I think, I think she called it a Bible study. It was a group of people that none of them were in our church, just she was the only one from our church in it. And the leader of this group just had this teaching that was just so 
wonderful. It was so exciting. And so she brought me the cassettes. Well, you know, I, I had a, I used to subscribe, subscribe to uh, a Christian magazine called Leadership. It was bought out by Christianity Today. And it was a book for Christian leaders. And I remember a little cartoon. They had these little cartoons, you know, down in the corner, sort of like the old Mad Magazines had the little, you know, spy versus spy cartoons, you know. They'd have these little cartoons down at the bottom of the pages. And one of them, there's a, there's a pastor in his study, and he's got, you know, and he's got his library. He's got tags on the shelves. And the tags say, uh, books I want to read. And over here are books I need to read. Over here are books I promise to read. Books people want me to read. And all these tags of all these books that he hadn't gotten to. And I thought... Yeah, I'm kind of like that with cassette tapes. People bringing me cassette tapes all the time back in those days. Hey, my pastor, I want you to listen to this. I'm thinking, I'm in the middle of, a, of an 18-tape series right now I'm listening to. I don't have time for your cassette tapes. Well, this lady kept on. She was a wonderful Christian woman, but she kept on about these cassettes. You need to listen to it. I said, okay, okay, I'll listen to it. So when I put the first cassette in, I knew right away, as soon as it started, this, this is error. I didn't know what the error was because I just started listening to it. I could just picked up by the Spirit. This, this man is not right. So the more I listened, I started, you know, it was, a, it was a co-mingling of word of faith and Catholicism. And it was uh, some of the teachings of the Catholic Church that aren't scriptural was kind of co-mingled in. And, uh, and it really fascinated this sister. And she, I found out she had given some cassette tapes to a couple of other ladies in the church. So I went to her and I said, listen, uh, I don't want you circulating these tapes in this church at all. The tapes that you've given to these other ladies, I want you to take them back. And I can't tell you what to do with your life, but we're not going to have any of these tapes circulating in our church. And she was a very sweet, uh, uh, obedient person. I mean, she didn't get, she said, pastor, if you say there's something wrong, I won't even go anymore. And she stopped going. She saved herself. And it wasn't long after that that the leader of this group was exposed for the, for the true false doctrine, doctrine that he had, was teaching. And she saved herself by pulling herself out of that when she could have just stubbornly said, well, I, you know, I think they're okay and I'm going to go anyway. And uh, so what I'm saying is very often someone teaches things that, that sound right and there are a lot of things that you agree with. But if there's something in there that just doesn't set right, you need to stay away from it. Uh, the, the grace, the, the extreme grace error is like that. The leaders of the extreme grace error today, uh, they, they preach a lot of word of faith. There's a lot of word of faith concepts in what they teach. A lot about authority and faith and who we are in Christ and, and a lot of things that we believe. And and a lot of people have fallen into it because it sounded so much like what they'd heard, but they didn't perceive that there's an element in here that takes it beyond. We all believe in the grace of God. We all believe the grace. We all know the grace of God is unmerited favor. We all know that. But you can't, you can't uh, sin against grace and think it's okay. Well, that's just one example. Uh, let's go back to this, to this passage. In verse 3, he said, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Now, now Ephesus, you remember, in this, this letter was written somewhere around the mid-60s, if I remember. I didn't go back today to look it up, but around, I think it's around the mid-60s A.D. In other words, the, in the first century, 60 
you know, maybe 67 or something. And uh, it was 30 years later when John had the, the letter through the Lord Jesus to the church at Ephesus and they had put a stop to false apostles. They had put a stop to people teaching things that weren't right. But you can see the, the beginnings of it were here in, in this passage. He said, I, I urged you that you charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and of sincere faith from which some having strayed have turned aside to vain or to idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now, this is an interesting point in verse 7. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but this is, this is worth mentioning now. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. The Gnostics were taking things from the law and, and, and teaching from them. That's why in Colossians it talked about don't be judged in, in, you know, concerning holy days and new moons. and All, all that stuff is in, the, is in the Old Testament. And Paul said, they're just shadows. They're just shadows of Christ. They're shadows of things to come. But the body, you know, I hold my Bible up here. You see my shadow up there on the platform? This is the body causing the shadow. There's light up here, and, and my Bible blocks it and creates a shadow. He's saying the things of the Old Testament, all, those, all of those rituals and all those things were shadows. The body's Christ. Christ is the one that's cast the shadow. Why do we need to be looking at the shadows when we've got Christ? Amen. So there are those in the body of Christ today. They teach all, you know, they're, they... they uh, uh, emphasize what God's doing among the Jews. And I'm all for what God's doing among the Jews. But we don't need to be teaching Old Testament Bible. Uh, why teach the types and shadows of Christ? Why not get into the New Testament and teach Christ? Anyway, uh, that's the, but the point is, it, it appears that these some of these teachers at least were sincere. They wanted to do desiring to be teachers of the law. They wanted to teach something, but not everybody who wants to teach ought to be teaching. Not everybody who wants to teach in a local church needs to be teaching. Maybe not all your friends need to be Bible teachers. Not all, maybe not all your friends need to be hosting things in their home. I, I'm, I, am I thinking about anybody? I'm not thinking about it. I don't know if anybody's hosting anything in their home. My point is, uh, some people have a desire to get into things and they do not know what they're talking about. Amen. Well, that, that always goes over real big too. <laughs> Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they claim or affirm. Let's go back up and take this, these verses one by one. He said that uh, you need to teach, charge them that they teach no other doctrine. This, uh, this phrase there, other doctrine, 
in Galatians chapter 1, there's a similar uh, reference. In Galatians 1 verse 6, he said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon to him who called you in the grace of God to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. A lot of people are misled and they're sincere. And we need to have compassion uh, for sincere people. We don't need to cut them off. We don't need to bring the hammer down. But at the same time, we need to insist that truth be taught. There are other people who are just sent by the devil. Paul described them as ravenous wolves. And their intent is to draw away disciples after themselves. I pointed out to you, you know, a few months back, there was a, a, a false apostle that started attending our service for a few Sundays. You know, he, he wasn't here every Sunday, but over, over five or six weeks, I guess, he was here three or four times. He sat back sort of where Ellen and, and uh, Larry are, maybe slightly behind that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I'd heard about him. I was warned about him. And so I went to his, his Facebook, I think it was a Facebook page or something online. I don't know if it's a Facebook page or a website. Kendra found it for me. And uh, it's my little sleuth over there. And, uh, and, and it was all about these two apostles, him and this other apostle, and they were conferring apostleship on each other, you know. Have you ever noticed they're, they're usually in a real cheap set someplace with bad camera lighting and usually they, they've got their wives involved. In this case, they had their wives involved and they, their wives were prophesying over them and, and conferring this. It was a circus. And, and so there are some people like that that are just out to deceive and they need to be, uh, Paul told Titus, he said, you need to confront them and, and stop them. But then there are some people that just, they don't intend to, to get into trouble, but they fall into to listening to some of these things. And, uh, and it in, ends up being some other doctrine. In other words, Paul told, told Timothy, he said, continue in the things which you've heard and been assured of. Stay with what you know. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring more enlightenment, but he's not bringing new doctrine. He's not bringing new doctrine. When the word of faith began to gain traction in the early 1970s, late 60s in, in a small, small companies, but in the early 70s really began to gain uh, traction, it wasn't a new doctrine. You found people that had been preaching faith, the very same thing for centuries. You know, Smith Wigglesworth uh, was, was called the apostle of faith in the assemblies of God. They, they referred to him that he was an assembly of God minister and they referred to him as the apostle of faith. He taught faith just like Brother Hagin did. But when Brother Hagin taught assemblies of God, run him off. They threw him out because they had, in, you, I'm using this word advisedly, they had slidden back into some unbelief in areas and that's where the church was when I started, the church I went to. Uh, our, our forefathers, our grandparents, I mean, they believed God. And had tremendous miracles. But over time, the doctrine got watered, watered down and diluted and traditions crept in. And, but what I'm saying is when truth is, is, if it's from the Bible, somebody else has preached it. It's not a new doctrine. Amen. He said, nor give heed to fables. 
You know, this word give heed, we've, we've seen that before in, uh, in this very book in the fourth chapter. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He's telling them, don't give heed to these things. And the word fables there in, in the Greek, I don't know exactly how I didn't look up the pronunciation of it, but it's spelled M-U-T-H-O-S. It's the word we get uh, uh, mythology, the word myth or fantasy. There are a lot of people just preaching fantasy. Just pure fantasy. Amen. And endless. This word means endless, unbridled, and unrestrained thinking. Endless genealogies. And that's what these people were teaching in these days, endless genealogies. And again, it was more Old Testament. They were trying to build types and shadows that weren't there. Praise the Lord. And it says that uh, which calls disputes... Questions, I think, is, is that the way the older King James says? How, how does that read exactly? Which minister questions rather than godly edifying. Is that how it reads? Listen, you know, if you, if you start hearing someone, uh, if you run across somebody that's teaching things or having experiences that are supposedly from the Lord and... They don't give answers. They just create more questions. That's not a good sign. They generate. And because, why is that? Because they're fantasy. There's no, there's no real truth. They, they can take an element of truth, a, a Bible truth, and then begin to present it in, a, in an unscriptural way. And if you're not very discerning, you think they're talking about the same thing you believe, and they're not. Amen. Endless genealogies, it causes questions, disputes, questions rather than anything productive. In other words, uh, if you find somebody's teaching that, that is, is, uh, you've never heard before, look into it. Is it practical? Is it practical? Is it something that you can build your life on? Does it add to what you have? Or is it just like the word I used earlier, tantalizing? Is it just so interesting? And just, it just spurs your, but it doesn't have, I remember when I was at Ramah, going to, to Ramah, there was a, uh, there was a, a teacher there, one of my professors, and the thing I, I saw, I'm not saying this sounds like I'm casting a bad light on the others, I, I wasn't, but a lot of things that were taught were uh, doctrine, and they were sound because it was, it was stuff I already knew. It was just basic Bible doctrine. But there was one particular man, his name was Rodney Lloyd, and I loved his classes. Now, everybody liked Bob Yandian because he was such an in-depth professor. I mean, he was, he was deep in the Word. And he, he, he did a lot of studying on types and shadows, and he, could just, he would wow you. You're nodding your head over there. You know what I'm talking about. He would wow you. And, and he, it was solid. I'm not saying it wasn't solid. It was, it was good. But, but everybody, that, most people, that was their favorite professor was, was Professor Yandian. My favorite professor was Rodney Lloyd because I left his class every day with something I could use that day. 
What, what he taught in that class, it was something I could take. I could put this into work, into practice in my life now. If, if what you're hearing, you can't apply it in your life, you know, it doesn't matter how marvelous it is and how wonderful it sounds. A lot of this stuff, it, it sounds good, but it doesn't have any basis of use. It's knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And usually it's not even correct knowledge. Amen. Oh, what is it, 48? Okay, well, let me just close this verse out. Nor give, give, nor give heed to fables and endless geologies which cause disputes rather than godly edification. Is there godly edification in it? Is it building somebody up other than the person that's given the revelation? Godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is, or the word is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere, sincere faith. Those are three things to look for. If does the teaching proceed from a position of love or is it pride? Is it from a pure heart, uh, or is there is there some or are there other motives involved? A good conscience, a good understanding, and sincere faith, from which. Some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. How does that read in the... In the vain janglings. <laughs> I like that. Vain janglings. That was an old uh, Elizabethan English phrase for idle talk. Just silly talk. Well, praise God. So we'll close it out there. Praise the Lord. I've gone over. Glory to God. So what's the content? Be, be, be paying attention to the content when you hear something that you haven't heard before. Does it, does it pass these tests? Is it something you can use? Is it, is it, is it, it, does it lift up Christ? Amen. Well, praise God. I hope that's helpful. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.